chapter 9. As you go to Mark chapter 9, I'm going to talk to you how to do your best to be last. And the flip side of that is, when is it good to be bad? Mark chapter 9 and verse 33. Mark 9, 33. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, which was probably Peter's house, they asked, he asked them, he asked his disciples, what was it that she disputed? You were arguing about among yourselves by the way. But they held their peace. For by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They were embarrassed. Lord, you heard us arguing. Verse 35, and he sat down and he called the twelve and saith unto them, if any man desire to be first, to be the greatest, the same shall be what? Last of all and servant of all. And then he made an example for them to see and he took a child and he set that child in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name. If you will equal them with me, if you will honor them like you honor me, uh, whosoever shall receive uh, such children in my name, you actually are receiving me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but you're actually receiving him that sent me. Go to chapter 10 and verse 31, where we will be focused our scripture on. Verse 31, but many that are first are going to end up what? And the last, they're going to be first. Now, in reality, I hate being last. Now, don't you look at me like I'm out of, out of, out of line here and I'm unusual because most people hate it to be last too, if you'd be honest. I hate arriving last. I hate being last in line. And doesn't it seem like all the smart people, the wealthy people, the popular people, even on Ryanair, get ahead of you because you're stuck in some, you know, two foot by two foot box seat, you know, while other people are queuing up and going in first. Uh, it's, it really feels like it's the worst to be last in line. Well, you know, out of all the people in line, usually you're there, right? <laughs> That's how we feel. We feel like everybody else is smarter. Everybody else is better looking. Everybody else seems to be ahead. They seem to be making more money. They seem to be living in better uh, estates. They seem to have better cars, especially when they go over to England and get them. Anyway, that was for Hannah. Uh, anyway, uh, there, there's, everybody else seems to be ahead, and you feel like you're last. And Jesus, Jesus loves those that are last. Amen. <laughs> More than those that who are thought of to be the first, and He wants everyone to try very hard to be last. And he proves that it really is good to be bad. Now, just understand, I'm not telling you, you said, I'm going to be bad. But, but the idea is that sometimes we think those who are bad are no good. And those who are bad are worthless and shouldn't be helped and shouldn't really be loved and shouldn't be, um, uh, you know, honored. And I'm going to show you how good it is to be last. Father, I ask that you would teach us again from the, lo- the life and the words of Jesus. There's no better teacher here this morning than he. So and we, we are. there are no more needy people than we. Because we fight and argue and divide and battle over who's going to be first. Lord, you're trying to switch everything around. And I pray you'd break our hearts about where we ought to be. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now Mark chapter 10, we'll go back to verse 13. I want to show you, children first, Mark 10 and verse 13. And they brought young children to him. Now, when, he, when they say young children, these aren't teenagers. These aren't college career. These are young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children. Go out of your way to get the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and he held them and hugged them and he put his hands upon them and he blessed them. Now, these parents were trying to bring their children to Jesus. They were trying to get them to, to, to be close to him and to hear his words and to see the expression on his face. You ever watch your children when you're talking? They're like watching every line on your face because they can sense whether you're angry or whether you're happy, they can sense it, not just by the tone of your voice, but by the, the, the twinkle in your eye or the glare or whatever. And they watch and they want their children to see what Jesus was like while he was teaching and for him to touch them. And by the way, it is still good to get your kids to, to know and to love and to follow Jesus. You don't have to wait till they're teenagers because if you wait until they're teenagers, they probably aren't going to start. Now, little children are not normally seen as important. In most cultures, young children require a lot of attention. They usually are inconvenient. They get in the way. Children cost a lot of money to feed and to clothe and to take care of. They take forever to become useful and productive. Basically, they have no place in an adult world. So the next time you hear people talking about how important children are, listen to me. You know, it's a good thing when people want to Stand up for children. But let me tell you, they got that from Jesus. They didn't get that from Muhammad. They didn't get that from humanists. They didn't get it from Buddha. Jesus taught, bring the children. The children are important. You guys step back. You be last. Let them be first. Amen? Now, uh, so Jesus, uh, the disciples thought that they shouldn't be there. They're a bother. Get them out of here. And Jesus gently rebukes them. He says, these who are the least important to you are most important to me. Amen. And the next time that you are looking down and you're seeing people who really aren't that important, remember, God probably honors them more than he's honoring you. Really, the people that you think are so far away from God are the ones that God's trying his most to get to him. I'm trying to get you to understand. Make sure you're fighting to be last and you're looking at people in the last instead of all the ones who are up at the front. You know, people who get into the into the kingdom of God have to become like children, Jesus said. You're going to have to become like these kids who just love me, trust me, and follow me, have no problem with me. Because children are what the kingdom of God is like. You know what heaven's going to be like? Like the park on Saturday morning, man. I mean, it's just nothing but adventure. There's, you can do what you want, and you're safe. Amen? That's what heaven's going to be like. And if you want to ruin it and make it like Wall Street or High Street, if you want to ruin it and make it like Hollywood, you're going to the wrong place. It's going to be like children. Now, this sets the stage for um, uh, uh, this sets the stage for what Jesus is going to teach about our culture because everyone has the wrong idea about how we're accepted in heaven. 
So a rich man, I want you to see him in verse 17. We'll go to the next verse, 10, 17. He was gone forth into the way. There came one running up to him and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto them, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. And Jesus beholded him. What's the next two words? Loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. So we want to, we meet a, a rich man who wants eternal life. That's not a bad thing. I'd like to meet people who want eternal life. Now I know that a lot of people want to live forever. Okay, there was a lot of people during the Middle Ages who were going all over the world trying to find eternal life and fountain of youth and stuff. And a lot of people want to live forever. But he asks, he says, I want eternal life. Now, this guy has a desire. He's showing great respect. He uh, he actually calls Jesus good master, which is what you don't do, especially to a poor rabbi, a rabbi who hasn't got but one pair of clothes that he wears every day. And he says, you're a good rabbi. You're a good master teacher. Now, Jesus... Uh, uh, sort of picks up first, not on the words of eternal life, but he says, why do you call me good? Why? Why? There is none good except God. And that let, let that sink in for a minute, because is Jesus good, yes or no? Yes, he is. But he's good because he's God. Do you understand? Nobody else in this room or in this planet is good. Amen. You may be good to me, you may be good to your wife, you may be good in the eyes of absolutely everybody on this planet. And believe me, the Antichrist, when he walks on this planet, everybody will think he's good. (laughs) But there is none good. No, not one. There is none good except God. So he leaves good with God. And he leaves the man thinking, is Jesus really good? And if he is, he must be God. So... um, there are no, all other forms of good men and women throughout the Bible and throughout history are only humanly good. None are truly good. Now, Jesus then says, hey, you want to you wanna have eternal life? Have you tried the Ten Commandments? And he plays a trick on them. How many of you have ever had your children come up to you, maybe a teenager, come up and say, uh, 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 Mom, uh, quiz me real quick. Now, what the child has done has probably memorized all ten of the questions in order. Now, a, a mom who's busy will start with question one and ask question one and then ask question two and then ask question three. And the kid goes, uh, number three is this, number four is that. But a wise mom will start with number eight. And the kid will go, oh. <laughs> so Jesus comes along and he says, have you done the commandments? And he starts with, quest- with, with commandment seven. He says, don't commit adultery. And the guy goes, uh, okay. And then he says, don't kill and then he goes to number eight. So seven, six, eight. He's, he's actually jumbling all of these around. He says, do not steal. Don't bear false witness. And then he throws in a tizzy there. He says, don't defraud, which means don't 
defraud God. Don't forget about the first four commandments, which is have no other gods before me. Don't bow down to uh, idols. Uh, keep the Sabbath, so on and so forth. Don't defraud. So one, two, three, four, uh, seven, six, eight, nine. And then he says, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, this guy says, he says there, uh, let me find the verse here. And he's real proud of himself. And he says, verse 20, he answered and he said, I must be a good boy because all of these things have I done as far as back as I can remember. Now, I don't doubt he's sincere. And, and really, this, this guy really, really thinks he's doing great. And I'm not going to doubt his sincerity that he's probably not killed anybody. Amen. He probably is married to one woman. He probably has never stolen anything that he remembers. He's never lied to somebody and he's, 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 only one God, and he's never bowed down to idols, and he's honored his father and mother. So far, so good. So certainly, if anybody deserves eternal life, this guy does. You, you do realize there's a whole lot of people who believe like this man, who say, I'm pretty good. I don't break God's laws. If you don't realize it, you need to go soul winning with me, because almost everybody I talk to says, oh yeah, I keep the commandments. You go, I don't want to call you a liar, but <laughs> but there's a whole lot of people who are in the same boat as this rich young man. Now, what's amazing to me is the Bible says there in verse 20, the first part of it, I'm sorry, verse uh, 21, then Jesus beholding him, I mean, Jesus looks right at him and he loved him. I just want to stop there for a second and deal with my Calvinist friends here this morning. Jesus was not making a flippant statement. Jesus was not toying with this man and playing around with this whole eternity. He loved a man's soul who was going to reject him. And every Calvinist I've ever talked to says, why would God love and die for someone who doesn't want him? Let me tell you, because that's God's nature. That's who God is. Jesus did not look at this man, I know you're going to reject me. (laughs) Even though he is, he still loved him. And God so loved the world. Amen. Anyway, keep going here. Jesus loved this man. He wanted him to be saved. As a matter of fact, how many people do you think Jesus wants to be saved? Everybody breathing. Now, there's just one more thing he says to uh, to this young ruler, this rich man. He says, what about that last commandment? What about number 10? You see, that last commandment's a killer. And it's today is probably our worst sin. Next to committing uh, 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 emotional and, and uh, uh, spiritual adultery, this last commandment of... What did anybody, anybody ever take that commandment seriously where it says, thou shalt not covet? You see, when the Bible talks about the coveting, it's talking about loving anything more than God. And that last commandment kills us all. God says coveting is actually idolatry. You're in Mark. Go to Ephesians 5 and verse 5. Ephesians 5 and verse 5. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, oh, those are evil people, nor covetous man, uh uh-oh, who is a idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
I, I, whoremongers, they ought to be out. Unclean, filthy thinking, filthy living people, they should be out. But covetous people, wow, that's a killer. You see, when you are focused on things, it's idolatry. When all you have to have are things and people and things of this world, you're breaking that Ten Commandment. So, what does he tell the man to do? He says, he says, let everything you, you own go. That means sell it all. That means you're at the first of the line. I want you to step back and become last. You're thought of as important. I want you to become very unimportant. He says, give every last penny to people who will never pay you back. The poor. He says, and they come with us. Be part of a church of poor people. Accept persecution and follow me and be like me. Everything, I like how he says it there. Uh, let's read verse 21 again. Then Jesus behold and him loved him. Back there in Mark chapter 10. And he said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. By the way, you never lose anything that you give away for God. It actually is called laying up treasures in heaven. I, somebody once said it this way. Most people are going to go home, go to, go to heaven, and go to their mansion, and it'll be empty. Because they sent up no furniture. They sent up no treasures. There's nothing up there waiting for them because they live for it all down here. Very convicting thought. And he goes on, he says, listen, whatever you give away here, you'll have treasure in heaven. And so come, take up thy cross, and follow me. Everything that was said was like a, a dagger to him. He went away hurt, disappointed, let down. All the man wanted to know was, what do I have to do to get this thing eternal life? What do I have to pay? Where do I have to go? Who do I have to impress? And Jesus said, lose. That's hard. Hmm. He figured he couldn't keep that commandment. You know, there'll always be one you can't keep. You say, well, I'm, I'm doing well in all of these, but this one keeps getting me. Well, if, if, if that one's getting you, believe me, one of the other commandments being broken by somebody else, all of us fail at some degree, amen, everywhere. All have sinned. He couldn't keep that one. I don't doubt he was a pretty good guy. You see, he had been forced to choose. This guy, when he walks away, he had been forced to choose between riches now or riches later. You know, I'm a wealthy man, just not yet. Amen? He had to choose between self-righteousness, I'm a good guy, I'm keeping the law, or no righteousness at all. Do you know what I am? I'm a child of God without righteousness. It's all been given to me. I have no righteousness at all. Are you with me? That doesn't mean I try, that I don't try to live godly, and that I don't try to do good, and that I don't get convicted when I'm not living right. But I have no righteousness. And people have to be cho- have to choose between all of these things that you think put you first or drop it at all and realize you're dead last. You have to choose. He then said, oh, he then said, uh, was, was forced to choose between keeping his crown. He was a ruler. He was somebody notable. He was well looked up to or he would have to exchange it for a cross. How many times did Jesus say to his disciples, Let them go and follow me and take up your cross daily. And everybody says, "Ah, not today. 
They had to choose between the love and adoration of this world or the love of Christ. Did Christ love him? Yes or no? And he had to choose. But wait, I've got all my friends. I've got all the people that look up to me. I have important position. People wait to hear what I have to say. But you love me too. I have to choose. And you do. If you think that the love of Christ is not overwhelming, then you do not know the love of Christ. That he would love a wretch like us. It ought to just stop us dead in our tracks and go, if for no other reason, I love him because he first loved me. He had to choose between great possessions or a great savior. What do I have as a Christian now? Not much. Now, I'm pretty wealthy compared to the rest of the world, but if I had nothing, I still have everything because I have him. Christianity is not about lands and buildings and possessions and power and politics. You know what Christianity is all about? Christ. And that's it. That's it. If that's all we had, it's enough. And this man had to choose between all those possessions or just having him. And he had to choose between a rich life or eternal life. Now we know that he chose wrong. You know, I'll say this. In your life, you have to make a choice every day whether you're going to hold on to your anger or you're going to hold on to the Holy Spirit of God. Are you going to hold on to your your uh, plans or are you going to hold on to the will of God? You see, we're always making choices. And it's never easy, amen? It's never easy. But one side wins, and I want to make sure I'm on that side. And guess what side that is? The one where you lose. <laughs> are you with me yet? Okay, stay with me. All right. Anyway, uh, here's a surprising truth. Look at verse 23. In chapter 10, we keep going. Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? That hardly means how impossibly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words, and they couldn't say anything. They didn't know what to say. But Jesus answered again, he repeats, and he said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that... And he makes it understandable now. That trust in riches, how hard it is for them to enter into the kingdom of God. And then he makes it even more possible. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure saying, wow, who then can be saved? So here, rich, smart people are not going to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. And he repeats itself. And it's not that money dams and that money keeps people out of heaven. You know what keeps people out of heaven? Trusting them. Do you know with money you can handle a lot of problems? You know, if you've got bad neighbors, you know what you can do? You can hire a lawyer and get rid of them. <laughs> Amen. Some of the rest of us are stuck with them. You know, some people have money. If 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 the climate's not great, if you're if you're not out in the country, if you got money, you can move. The rest of us have to put up with the situation. Amen. If your car, if you don't have money and your car is constantly breaking down, what's what you, guess what you do? You keep patching it up and you keep going. When you got money, get a new car. When mama's not happy, you give her the credit card. When the kids aren't happy, you take them on a holiday. You have the power with money, don't you? Take that all away, you're powerless. You know, when you're trusting money to impress people, make you look good, Put on the good clothes, have the right hair. Um, uh, when you when you count in your money, 
to, to make you somebody, you'll never get saved. Because you're trusting that to make you somebody. And that's first. And they that are first are going to end up where? Last. So where should we be found? Back at the last. So next time the devil comes along and says, you are so poor, dirt can't even look down at you. Just look at her and go, but I'm in the right place. The truth is this. It is, hard, it is hard to let go of our money and possessions. Money shows how smart we are. I mean, I mean, certainly Mark Zuckerberg must be a smart man. He's a lucky man. Because another guy designed Facebook and he took it from him. Certainly Bill Gates was a really smart man. I know better. Bill Gates bought a, a, a operating system and lied to IBM and said, this will handle all of your computers. He didn't write anything except a basic program. And he put it up there, and IBM gave him almost unlimited money on a lie. He's not that smart. But we think that because they have all that money, they must be so smart. No, they were lucky. A lot of people get a lot of money because mom and daddy were, 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 were wealthy, and they give it to them or whatever. But money... Seems to show how smart you are, maybe how good you are. It shows that God is blessing you. And don't look, you look at me strange. If all of a sudden, and I say this, and I'll say it a lot more, that if all of a sudden you, somebody just gave you a hundred thousand euros, you'd go, thank you, Lord. God, God, you're blessing me. And you think that, and it may be, but let me just tell you, money doesn't prove anything. Because that makes the rest of us go, well, I guess God's not blessing me. When he might be. <clears throat> that's why it will always be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a sewing needle than for a rich man to actually stop trusting in his riches and instead fully trust Christ. So when, when the camel is panicking about somebody going to try it, <laughs> we're going to get you through there. Listen to what the apostle, listen to the apostle Paul's secret to happiness. First Timothy chapter six, hold your place here. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six and verse six. Howard Hughes, which was one of the wealthiest men in the 1920s and 1930s, he also went insane. But uh, Howard Hughes was asked one day, with all of his millions and millions and millions of that day, he was super wealthy. Somebody asked him, "How much until you're happy? How much until you're content with what you got?" Guess what Howard Hughes says? Just a little more. <laughs> Just a little more. Look at what first, look what Paul said. First Timothy chapter six, verse six. But godliness with contentment, that's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. The man who's being buried with his golden, gold-plated Cadillac back in the 1960s. I forget who it was, but they buried him in this huge grave six feet under in a very expensive car that had been covered in gold. The people are all standing there and one man says to another, says, how much did he, how much, uh, 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 how much did he leave when he died? The other guy said, all of it. 
And, and it, just, it just makes you think about he took nothing with him into eternity. We brought nothing into this world, verse 7. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And having houses and good clothes, let us therefore be with content. There, there be content. What is he saying? Didn't say houses. Oh, but if you have a car and you've got clothes, is that what it says? Ah, but if you have a MacBook Pro and clothes. Oh, but, but if, if you've got a girlfriend. No. Well, if you, you, if you got a motorbike. <laughs> uh, listen. Houses, lands, cars, motorbikes, bicycles, welfare, laptops, TV, internet, Netflix, health insurance, life insurance, wives, husbands, children, holidays are not mentioned. Do you know how to be content? Having some food and having some clothes. I'm not there yet. I like having a house. I like having a car. If I had to give it all up and take last place, could I be content? It's really important to get my mind to the place where I want to be last. Where if the Lord asked me to let go, would I let go? Does he ask everybody to let go? No, only those who are trusting those things. Let them go. Paul's secret is, that's great game. Um, a Christian can be content and happy if they haven't been on a holiday in 10 years. Now, they'll be grumbly happy, <laughs> but we can be content. If rich people, who everyone believed were good, aren't going to heaven, look how the disciples asked. Look, verse 26 back there in Mark 10. They were astonished out of measure. They were gobsmacked. Wait a minute. If these great wealthy people who seem so blessed of God, who seem so impressive to us, they must impress God. If they're not getting into heaven, how is anybody going to get into heaven? That's a good question. Because Peter, well, go to verse 27. Let me show you. And Jesus, looking with them, looking upon them, saith, with men, it is what? So if you are saved, it's a miracle. It is impossible that anybody in this room is going to go into the grave and the moment that they close their eyes in this earth, wake up in the presence of Jesus Christ. The only way that's going to happen is it's a miracle. It's impossible otherwise. With men, it is impossible, no matter how much money you got, no matter how many smarts, no matter how much religion, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You see, we think those at the first of the line, they're a shoe in And those who are at the last of the line, they won't make it. You know what God says? If anyone makes it, it'll be because God did it. Now, Peter's worried because start there in verse 28. Then Peter began to say to him, Lord, lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Now, this is kind of cute because he's wondering whether he's done enough. And listen to him. We've left everything, we've lost everything, and they had, just to follow you, and it hurt. You know, somebody who's fished all his life and loves fishing, and he did. Somebody who's loved paying and, and, and paying his bills and working for his day's wages and having the, 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 uh, uh, the life of, of, uh, of a fisherman, leaving that all behind was not so easy. He says, we left it all. And Jesus, all we have now is you. And I like how he asked that. Is that going to be enough? Because I bet you he's actually in his heart of heart going, I don't feel blessed. There were times where there was no food. There were times where Peter, James, John were 
you know, wondering when was the kingdom going to get started. Man, this is really rotten. We go from place to place and we have no place to sleep. We're sleeping out in the open on the dirt. It just doesn't feel like we're blessed. Are we okay? Now, Jesus makes a promise. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold, a hundred times, now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. Jesus makes a promise. You have it good, Peter. Because no matter what you've lost, and, and, and no matter what you've missed out, and you know, you know, and, and I, and I'm quite, um, how do I say this? Don't be offended, and don't think I'm talking specifically just about an individual. But I'm quite aware of people in this church who are lonely, and wish they could be married, but because they're following Christ, they can't find a wife yet. Or they can't find a godly husband. And I'm quite aware of that. Let me tell you, Jesus says, if you've had to give up that dream for the gospel's sake, for right's sake, and, and just, just because you love Jesus and you're waiting on him, let me tell you, God will make it up to you. Jesus makes a promise. Now, he promises not just in, in the future. He says, in this time and in the future, over and over and over, above what we could imagine. If you lost, Jesus promises to pick you back a hundred times over, both now and in the world to come. And, and John chapter 14 says, you know, when you go home to heaven, there's not just a shack up there. There are mansions. Have you ever been up and you're driving along and you look and you go, wow, what a huge house. That's an outhouse where I'm living in heaven. So whatever I've lost here, God will make it up. I'm not worried. I'm not sad. What about family? I'm going to say this and maybe... Maybe you'll get a picture of this. But whatever you've done that is maybe brought because you're trying to serve the Lord, not because you're trying to beat them and trying to force them to be Christian like you, but because you're following the Lord and you love the Lord and you're in church and you're in your Bible and you're loving people and you're doing things differently and people run away from you and your kids turn their back on you and you watch it all fall apart. Let me just say this. When you do right with the right spirit for the right reason. One of these days you're going to see that is how they got saved. That's how they got turned to God. And you're going to, in heaven, going to look at all the people and generations of them because you walked with God, because you put him first and you took last. You see, too many of us are trying to get everybody to be like us instead of, I just want to be like Jesus, which means I'll take last place. Now, mansions, family, possessions, there are treasures in heaven. Don't be ashamed of that. And that's not why we serve the Lord. But you know what? He does put our hearts at rest that, you know, it's going to be worth it all. And there are persecutions that come along with it. Might as well just chalk it up. Comes part of the deal. Amen. And persecutions. But best of all, eternal life. That thing that that man wanted to buy. That thing that the man wanted to earn. That, that gift of God, which is eternal life, 
is for anybody who will take it. Here's how it works. And I'm finished. Look at verse 31. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Watch this. Only those who are bad get it this good. Amen? Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but what? Sinners. Is there anyone righteous? Yes or no? No. So it'd be stupid for him to go call for the righteous to get saved because there are no righteous to get saved. But there are plenty of bad people, amen? So, this is the way it works. Only those who are bad can get it this good. Only those who are least worthy are worthy. Does that make sense? I think it's brilliant. Only those who have nothing to their name can get everything for free. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 1 says, Ho, hey, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, everybody ought to raise their hands. <laughs> come ye, buy and eat, yea, come buy wine and milk without, without money and without price. Only those willing to lose everything actually can gain everything and more. Only those who willingly follow Jesus, no matter the cost, will have him forever. That's why I believe in eternal security. Because before I got saved, everything I had I could lose. Now, I don't lose. I lost once. I'm just a gainer from now on. Those who accept loss as gain, those who accept persecution and afflictions as gifts, only they have it good. Listen to the Christian life, again, from the Apostle Paul. You can leave this, and we'll finish with this thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to the Christian life as described by the great Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. For I think that God hath set forth us apostles first. Is that what your Bible says? You think in some churches that that's what it should say. Some churches, the guy at the front, he's the most important. Mm -hmm. Paul says, I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last. There's our key word. As it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, which means an embarrassment. And we're an embarrassment to angels. <laughs> We're in embarrassment to men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, now he's tongue-in-cheek now. He's sort of, and you've got to read the humor in the Bible because he's not honoring them. He's saying, we are fools. Oh, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You're honorable. But we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we apostles, who we imagine should be first and should be so important, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted. What does that word mean? Sorry? Huh? Attacked? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was hearing. Attacked? We're beat up? We are mocked and, and abused? And have no certain dwelling place? And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless back. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, they take away any type of notoriety. They libel, they slam us. We entreat. 
We are made as the what? The filth of the world and are the offscouring. You know what the offscouring is? That's like when you've been walking out, taking the dog for the walk, and you come home, and your wife says, check your feet. And you look at your feet, and you go, oh, no. And the offscouring, don't worry, I have clean socks on, is when you just scrape that stuff off the bottom of your shoe. That's what we are. You know, when, 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 the, when the Apostle Paul talked about his apostleship, as important as it was, he says, we're the offscouring. Where's that verse? Verse 13, of all things unto this day. You know, that's what it looks like when you're in last place. And as hard as it is, it's our place. You want to be made good, forgiven, righteous? Now I admit that you're bad. No man gets saved by negotiating with God. Nobody gets born again by trying to, to argue your worth to God. You come to God as a sinner, lost, without hope, without God in the world. That's how you start. You start off by being bad. Secondly, you want to be first? Take a step back and be last. Whatever it might cost you. But you don't know what I've had to put up with. You don't know who's hurt me. Let them hurt. Because guess where Jesus is? He's at that last place. He's, he's in the place where people are thrown away. Where nobody appreciates them, where nobody loves them, where they are the offscouring. And Jesus says, I've been there too. And that's where you'll find me. That's where you find Jesus looking for you. Wow, think about it. Christian, you need to remember this. We have it good. Even though we may not have so much, <laughs> all we're doing is we're investing in eternity. And our testimony and our faithfulness is going to affect our children, whether they admit it or not, for generations to come. And you know what it all does? It makes everything worthwhile. So don't be so disappointed like Peter saying, Lord, we've left everything and it wasn't so fun. <laughs> the Lord says, it will be. It will be. Go ahead and strive to be last. Go ahead and strive to let others be better than yourself. Value others more than yourself. Let others get ahead. Find yourself where everybody else is racing ahead and doing great things and sometimes all you do is fail. It's okay. Because Jesus is right there. And he'd like to, he'd like to keep you there. Because that that's what the kingdom of God is filled with. Guess what? With people in last place. Let's bow our heads. Father, I love you. I thank you for loving people who aren't so able. If we were to go through all the Ten Commandments, we would miss out on more than just one. Here we are, Lord. Just taking a step back and, and trying to be reminded just how good the Christian life is. We're blessed beyond what we should be. We've got more than just food and raiment. We've, we've got so many other things. But are we trusting in them? Are we holding on to them? Do we hold on to our health insurance or our social health programs instead of holding on to you? Are we trusting in our, our ability to pay our way out of problems or we learn to trust you and to pray
pray, to work through the problems. As a Christian, it's hard. We've grown up not knowing how to be last. Okay, well, Jesus, you've shown us. Help us. Help us so that we as Christians are not arrogant. We're not worried about fame and fortune. We're worried about you and just being in the will of God and just doing the will of God because you're worthy. Knowing that, you'll make it all worthwhile. And let every person in this room look in their hearts and say, Lord, have I made you my all? Do I have anything more important than you? Am I actually breaking the Tenth Commandment and coveting, worshiping anybody or anything more than just you? Forgive me. Help me not break that commandment, most of all. I pray this in Jesus' name. Stand with me, please. Amen.